Well, hello and welcome back to the show. This is Hunter McWaters, your host. Um, today, I'm going to be speaking with another um, guy who's been around the industry a long time. Um, he's done marketing and brand work for some big companies like Sitka um, and uh, just uh, very knowledgeable about branding and marketing and uh, you know about the outdoor industry. He's an entrepreneurial type guy. Um, he also is another guy, um, like my guest, uh, Austin recently, who, um, he's been doing hunt consulting and hunt booking for many years. His family has been in the travel business for many years and, um, extremely knowledgeable. You know, if you want to go hunt Ibex in Spain or Kyrgyzstan, or you want to go, you know, on a African safari or water Buffalo in Australia, I mean, or, you know, if you're a waterfowler, he's incredibly knowledgeable about different waterfowl hunts around the world. Um, when we had this conversation, he had just got back from Argentina, we did some wing shooting and hunt red stags down there. So um, pretty much if it can be hunted, uh, Ryan Bassham, my guest today, knows how to get you there and uh, and can help you out. He's a really awesome dude, um, uh, family man, um, like I said, very knowledgeable about the industry and marketing. So we have a good business conversation. We also touch on some spiritual topics that are really interesting. And, um, just want to mention, you know, um, you know, it's no secret. I'm a Christian, you know, we talk about faith on this show a lot, but, um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm open and willing to talk to people of different faiths and, uh, think there's, there's good things to be taken there. I mean, so Ryan is a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, several of my guests in the past have been, a lot of my friends are. Um, and so, you know, we may, um, we may differ on some theological points, um, but uh, we also have a lot in common and, you know, our values are the same uh, in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, we have a conversation about faith and, you know, we are in different churches, but like I said, Ryan and all my other LDS friends are great people, some of the best people that I know. Um, and so, you know, our conversation is, is, is a really good one and I uh, hope you enjoy it and get a lot out of it. Um, so, you know, try to, you know, I know there's different people may have different uh, biases towards different theologies and religions or whatever, but just try to look past that. And, um, and just, uh, like I said, no matter where you land on it, I think this conversation is, um, an important one and a really good one. And, uh, Ryan's just an awesome, friendly, nice dude and a killer hunter. Um, he's very approachable. We talk about it in the episode, but he actually just helped me book like my dream hunt. So, you know, I'm kind of excited about it. Uh, I guess I'll announce it here, but um, Ryan helped me book a Alaskan doll sheep hunt for 2023, and I was able to get on it because of a cancellation he had. Uh, I'm super stoked. Um, you know, it's it's anyway, it's 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 amazing. I'm really excited about it. Um, gonna have to figure out all the logistics and all that good stuff, but we're gonna make it work and, uh, I'm really excited about it. So if you have a dream hunt, we talk about an episode, but you know, regs are not getting any easier. Prices are not going down and you ain't getting any younger. So if you got something you want to do, you know, get it on the books, you know, you only live once, you know, you don't want to do anything stupid and make any bad decisions, but you know, if you make a plan, things are attainable. And so, um, you don't want to wait, you know, you don't want to wait too long to where you're too old and you just can't do it anymore. And, and you never know. I mean, you know, regs change all the time. So 
that's why I went ahead and decided just, I just said, you know what, I'm just going to book this hunt. You know, I, I was pushing it off saying I'll do it one day, but you know, it, it may not be very long before non-residents are draw only for doll sheep. And there's a couple other things that just made me realize, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. So I booked it and, um, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. So anyway, we have a great conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. There's some great stuff in here. Ryan's an awesome dude. And uh, just go ahead and um, leave me a rating or review if you like what we're doing here. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can just search my name, Hunter McWaters. And uh, thanks again for your support. And we'll see you on the next one. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. I'm here with my guest today, Ryan Bassham. How you doing, man? Good, buddy. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for making it work. I know you've been traveling, oh. and um, yeah. we got a chance to meet briefly at the expo, but I know you were pretty busy at the Peaks booth, and I was yeah. making my rounds and stuff like that, so we didn't get a whole lot of chance to talk, but I'm glad to uh, get a chance to connect on here. Yeah, no, absolutely. That that show was awesome. It was fast and furious, and, and yeah. glad we catch up for a little bit but yeah stoked that we get to chat a little bit more now so it's great yeah man um because i yeah i asked brian i was like who's who's somebody good from you know peaks to have on the show and he's like well bass am's hunted everywhere so you should he's a good guest you should get him on <laughs> i've got uh, different adventures than than lampers and, and brian i i admire those guys a lot they they freaking go hard it's awesome and um yeah it's cool getting to work with those guys it's good yeah. good stuff we got going on over there yeah, man. So, um, you know, I mentioned peaks a little bit. I don't know exactly your role there. Um, yeah. I was also, it just happened to be like, Brian was giving me a ride to the airport while you guys were on one of your peaks calls. So that was kind of interesting to like listen into. Oh, yeah. Um, so, but I'd love to, um, just, I know you've, you've done work with lots of outdoor industry companies and you got your own entrepreneurial things. And that's one thing I'm super interested in. Uh, is entrepreneurialism and, you know, especially as it relates to the outdoor industry. And I think a lot of folks are interested in that. And um, so, yeah, just, just tell folks kind of like a little bit of your background and, and kind of what you're up to now. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I probably had more of an untraditional approach into, you know, stumbling my way into the industry. It was kind of on accident to be quite honest. <laughs> I been a passionate hunter my, my whole life, like most of us and probably most of your listeners, but uh but yeah, no, I, I, uh, was a triathlete at Texas A&M university in college and triathlete um, you said, mm -hmm, yeah, oh, so nice. not an NCAA sanctioned sport, so It was club sports, but you know, I did some Ironman stuff and, and a lot oh, of like cool. endurance stuff. I'm fat now, so you wouldn't know that, but used to have an athlete and <laughs> that was a good time. But, um, in, in that time period, I, I started to work with a running shoe company called Newton running, but I was also just starting to kind of enter the booking agency space. So as a, as a booking agent, helping clients book hunts kind of all over the world, hosting them in a, on those hunts yeah. um, and getting to hunt weird critters in, in obscure places. And so um, that's kind of what started my, my business path. Um, I Newton running was a very new startup at the time. And so I got to come in as a sales and marketing, um, you know, individual to, to help grow their company. Um, simultaneously I was, I was helping to sell hunts, traveling and, and started to, you know, get some brand sponsors and whatnot. And one thing led to another. And I ended up, um, eventually as the VP of marketing at Drake waterfowl on the waterfowl oh, nice. side of the industry. And um, after a, a short stint there, I ended up at Sika Gear for about five years. 
and ran marketing for the waterfowl and eventually the whitetail category as well. Um, and then had an opportunity to go out on my own. And um, you, you've mentioned Peaks. Uh, so Bryce Bishop, the owner of Peaks, and I go to church together. Oh, nice. And um, he, he approached me three and a half, four years ago now, uh, before it was Peaks, and had me go to breakfast. And he was like, I've got this crazy idea to start this trekking pole company. And I was like, I don't know that this is going to work. I don't know. <laughs> I don't see that being a good idea, but let's talk about it. And so anyways, fast forward to 2022, we rebranded. It used to be called Sissy Sticks, rebranded yeah. it. And uh, it's now called Peaks Equipment. And we're super excited. We've got a, a very exciting product line, product mix coming up over the next five years. And we we kind of, the way we like to tag ourselves is we're for hunters by hunters. Yeah. Um, anything that you know hunters need for a multi-day backcountry um, hunting trip and anything that would go in your pack we don't do apparel we don't do packs but literally everything else you could potentially use in your campsite is where we want to help hunters um yeah. thrive more on the mountain yeah and that's cool because you know for a long time you know and it's starting to change but we'd have we'd have to look to you know non-hunting brands and stuff exactly. like that and it, I mean, for me, like I was, I had to get a new sleeping bag just recently and, you know, I wanted to get a stone or a, even like I looked at Kuyu, they're just sold out everywhere. So I ended up having to get a marmot. But, um, that being said, like, I like to support hunting brands when I can. Um, and you know, especially with something like a trekking pole. I mean, I think I, right now I'm running like Lakey trekking yep. poles, which are good. But at the same yep. time, like if if I if I'm gonna be making a purchasing decision and I can buy a quality piece of gear that's made by hunters and I'm supporting a hunting brand, like it's a no brainer for me. Absolutely. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so that's that's kind of what our thought mentality was as well. Um, you know, now I've started to take on a little bit more of a role. Um uh, David Brinker and I work together at Sitka. Now we're getting to work together at Peaks. Oh, nice. he, uh, he's kind of, he's our chief brand officer. I'm our chief marketing officer. So a lot of people don't understand the difference between the two, but that's okay. Um, we're, we're trying to do our best just to deliver a good product and experience and education for everybody. So it's, it's a really fun time right now for Peaks, but that's, that's one of the things I do. Um, and then uh, outside of that, I consult and obviously I'm still running the booking agency. So that's why I just got back from Argentina yeah. um, in an outfitter down there and on a hunt and just trying to have fun, man. Yeah, dude. And I want to, I want to talk about that side of things too. And yeah. you literally helped me out yesterday, book a yeah. sick hunt that I'm looking forward to. I want to maybe talk about that later. Dude, I'm almost... so excited for you. <laughs> <laughs> dude, me too. I'm more I was... excited for you to go on that trip than I am for anything I think I'm doing this year. So I'm dude, stoked I was, for you. I was just dreaming about it last night. Um, not literally, but I was thinking about it, trying to sleep. But yeah. dude, yeah, that's sick. Let's talk about that a little later. But real quick, I want to just on the peaks thing, just because yeah. I'm curious. Um, Cause I know Brian kind of started working with sissy sticks originally. Yeah. Now was that, was that kind of an intentional thing? I mean that um, Bryce had reached out to him to kind of try to get something going uh, because of his yeah. influence in the space or did that kind of happen organically or what was that? No, hundred percent. So um, Bryce had the idea of sissy sticks, quick side story on, on why sissy sticks. Cause I think it's important. Um, it's not trying to be cute or clever. There's actually some meaning to it. Um, a, a gentleman by the name of J.D. Clark that we go to church with here in Bozeman um, was kind of a hunting mentor to Bryce. And he's in his 70s now. And, and the guy still goes out and gets it done in the backcountry and hunts elk every year in his 70s. Oh, wow. um, but as he's gotten older, 
he's needed to use trekking poles. And he always, even before sissy sticks was an idea, um, he, he called them his sissy sticks. He was always like, ah, boys, give me, <laughs> give me those stupid sissy sticks. I need them. And so it was kind of a tip of the hat to a hunting mentor local to the area that helped Bryce early on when he was a teenager and hunting. Yeah. And, and so that's why sissy sticks, um, as sissy sticks started to grow and we were selling more poles, um, the idea was we can do way more than just poles. And at that point, um, I facilitated an introduction between Brian and Bryce. Okay. Um, and, and we very strategically started adding people to the team to help us grow the brand. Uh, Jordan Harbertson from Mountain Ops was involved and helped to rebrand. Uh, like I said, David Brinker from Sika Gear. Uh, Ryan Lampers is tremendously helpful on the product development side because that guy just goes harder than anybody I know. Um, <laughs> and so we've kind of got a, a really fun team of guys together that come from different backgrounds to help make Peaks what it is and hopefully yeah. what it would become in the future state. Yeah, man, it's definitely exciting. Like the, like you said, just uh, the crew you got assembled. Um, I was hanging out quite a bit over there by the initial ascent booth and by y'all's booth. Kind of, it was sort of my home base. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a really cool group of guys you got. And uh, I felt like it was like the cool kid area over there. <laughs> well, hopefully, it was a place that everybody enjoyed getting to hang out. And, For sure. And yeah. We we yeah, I didn't mean be, that in the best possible way. Not like, right? like, yeah, in the best possible yeah. way. We, we want to be that brand that everybody can relate to, and yeah, for sure. Um, you know, hopefully, we can be of help too. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I actually, I actually picked up um, a pair of gators. I was in the market for some gators, and I picked up a headlamp just to try out. So I'm gonna be running those this year. Awesome. Um, I had some other brand gators that just were were not working for me. So uh, yeah. anyway. Um, that's cool. You mentioned um, brand versus marketing. Uh, brand, what was it? Brand manager so, uh, versus marketing manager. Brand, is that branding versus marketing, and is, is really kind of two different things. Um, yeah. They can be defined differently depending on their intended purpose. Um, but I think, in its most simplistic terms, brand can be considered more of like what is your your look and feel. Mm. Um, marketing gets more into like the actual strategy and tactical execution side of things. And so you have to have brand. I, I Let me back up. So every time I go into a new opportunity as a consultant where I'm working with a new company, um, I first want to understand, okay, like this company, look at it as it's its own little person. We're going to create this person. We get to define its personality, its look, its feel, the vibe it puts off. Um, that comes down to the font and the color scheme, all of that. That's mm -hmm. Creating that little human, that company, that's branding. The marketing side is like, okay, now we've created the look and the feel of the company. How are we going to strategically put together um, a plan that allows us to achieve business goals and sales goals? And then how do we tactically execute that strategy? And so that there is a difference, but branding and marketing are obviously tied even more closely to the hip than sales and marketing, um, but they're defined differently. Yeah. So did you go to school for that stuff or you just kind of learned it on the fly? And I've, I've been so fortunate in my career to, to be around a, a lot smarter people than, than myself. <laughs> and so I have learned from those around me. Um, I've, I've worked alongside with people from Yeti and Patagonia and, um, obviously nice. Sitka and, and it's, it's been tremendous. And, um, you know, I, I learned a lot from them. I learned some of the stuff at school as well. It's on the job training, man. Um, for sure. surround yourself with people smarter than you and inevitably you'll, you'll start reaching those, those career goals that you have and, um, you know, get to where you want to be. 
Yeah, that's that's really important thing, man. I mean, just in life in general, whether or whatever industry you're in, um, surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals, but like you're saying, not like-minded individuals that are all slackers or something. Like you want to go for people that are like maybe a couple notches above you, you know, so you can kind of grow totally. to their level. Totally, and I think even more important than than all of that because that's all important but being around people that want to see you succeed mm. because you can be around incredibly smart people, but do they have your best interest in mind and are they helping you continue to grow as an individual as part of that cohesive team that has that same, you know, business goal and objective. And unfortunately, I mean, it's just the nature of business. There's some toxic workplaces out there where that doesn't necessarily occur. For sure. Um, when you get the, the right recipe for success for team, man, it's, it's getting a bunch of very smart, like-minded people together that want to help each other succeed. And then, man, it's, it's off to the race. The sky's the limit. That's cool, man. Yeah. Um, so there's so many places we could go from here. <laughs> um, well, tell me about your trip you just got back from. Yeah. Fresh, yeah. fresh so, in your um, mind. Totally. So uh, just got back from Argentina. Uh, um, Argentina is Super cool country. This is my third trip down there. Um, most people like to go down there for the wing shooting. Obviously, right. high volume dove. See, really that used to be my thing. Cause I like maybe like you. Uh, I started my first, you know, hunt was in a dove field. You yep. know, my dad took me out. Obsessed, you know, like I remember my first, my first time ever. My I remember my dad bought me a twenty gauge uh, youth model eight seventy came in and I was like the best day of my life and Heck I actually yeah. shot a dove with that thing the first time out with it which is pretty good for like an eight-year-old Heck yeah it is dove you know you know um but uh so and then you know duck you know he had me duck hunting and that's how I got my start and then whitetail and then that's when I really gravitated towards big game but I always you know before I found western hunting that was kind of my thing I was like oh I want to go to Argentina and just you know, melt some freaking shotgun barrels, shooting some doves yeah, and, and teal man. and all that. But, but less people I think know about it. And you went down there for big game, correct? I did. Yeah. So I, I did some dove hunting too. Um, you know, how'd you all do on the dove? I, I, I did dove and ducks. The, the dove and pigeon hunting was great. I only did a day of it because we were big game hunting most of the time. Um, but yeah, similar story. Like I, I grew up on, you know, in Northeast Texas on, on birds and deer. Um, nice. and obviously I'm in the bird room right now. So there's a lot of birds in here, but, um, you have, you have a, yeah. you have your own, uh, just bird room. This is the bird room. And <laughs> a lot of the big game stuff is at the peaks office. And then I've got crap scattered all over the place. I, I bet you do. Place. How many, just real quick, how many different countries have you hunted in? Uh, well, I've got a, let's see, I'm looking at a map up here on my, wall where i've kind of started to try to mark don't even it. remember the number <laughs> like 18 and i'm going to try to go to two new ones this year that's awesome so i should i should be at 20 countries this year it's funny because we my kids were asking me this stuff um last week um before i left to argentina because uh, we were putting this map together and i think i'm at right around like 52 quote-unquote big game species and 78 waterfowl species wow in 18 countries as i'm looking at this thing well so, you definitely have yeah. the mustache for it <laughs> yeah you know it. if you guys mustache. are listening this is your temptation to go to youtube right now because he has an epic handlebar mustache like theodore roosevelt style the covid mustache um <laughs> hey it's i can just imagine you with like a double-barreled elephant gun with two triggers on it 
Well, it's funny you mentioned that because in Argentina, we were hunting water buffalo and I did have the 450, 400 nitro express, <laughs> nice 400 grain bullets. And I was willing <laughs> to eat some buffalo for sure. So I was feeling like old Teddy. It was yeah, great. That's awesome, man. I leave Wait. for a few weeks for Cape Buffalo in Africa. So I'll, I'll look the part there too. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man. So you're, so anyway, that was a little bit of a sidetrack, right, but you're telling about Argentina. Yeah. Argentina. So um, what's cool, Argentina was closed, obviously, up until um, January. So it just now opened mm. back up. Um, and I've had a lot of clients ask me, like some of these places that, you know, uh, foreigners haven't been get, able to get into. It's like, well, what's the hunting like? I mean, my brain immediately as a hunter goes to, wow, they've had two years for those animals just to get bigger. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah no pressure, all that kind of stuff. And so the um, Argentina being in the Southern hemisphere, it's reverse season. So the middle of their roar which is equivalent to the rut hmm. is going on right now it's just wrapping up and so the month of march for red stag in argentina is at its peak in march is that so, a native species down there it is a non-native species okay um, with argentina they're the native species you cannot export out of the country hmm. um, the non-native species you can and so, so you can actually the bring the meat home well, unfortunately, because of USDA uh, federal mm. laws, we can't bring the meat back. But we did eat the meat lunch and dinner every day. Sure. Um, at this, is there anywhere rate, you can bring meat back from still? No. Mm -mm. Even no. Mexico. You you can you can try to drive it back in from Mexico, but trying to do that stuff on a planes, I highly discourage anybody to even mess with it. Um, so New Zealand, it, you can't because I remember Brian; they flew a bunch of meat back. You can't do that anymore. No, I don't think so. Again, a lot of things have changed in the last two years. Um, it's incredibly difficult. Um, most places you cannot, it depends on the country. That's what makes all this so complicated. Like yeah. country to country, it is different. Like nothing can come back from the, the country of Africa in regards to meat. New Zealand, I know you used to be able to, but I, I don't know that you can anymore. But right now, like you, no one's even going over there. So it's kind yeah. of up in the air. Um, South America, you, you can't. Um, you can get trophies back, but most of the meat's consumed there. The, we're at an 85,000 acre free range ranch, mm. um, pretty big chunk of land. Yeah. And there's 60 people that work there. And so, man, everything's yeah. getting plenty of mouths to feed. Yeah. I mean, that's what we were eating every meal, which was awesome. So, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, no, like it was, it was a great trip. Um, some of the other non-native species they have there is like free range water buffalo, which is a 2,200 pound pissed off you know, looking cow, um, which is a lot of fun. Um, and then, uh, you've got black buck axis deer, some of their native species, oh, nice. they have different kinds of javelina there that are specific to South America, um, capybara, um, mm. pumas, you know, that, that sort of a thing. Um, but yeah, the, the, the stag hunt was awesome. And I'm not kidding. Like it's, it's one of the, it's more intense than hunting elk as far as the roar, like they're way more vocal. Really? Um, you, there's no calls. Like we had some PVC pipes and we're trying to like do some calling, but it wasn't effective, but, uh, it's more like get out early in the morning, listen, same as we would hunting elk, try to, you know, get location. Um, and then just trying to make a move. And these, these animals are constantly moving and there'll be like seven or eight roaring at one time, kind of in a pocket in the general area. And then you got to do your best to try and figure out where they're going to be and get to that spot. But like the way the topography is and how thick the, the, I was in La Pampa, how thick the brush and everything is in La Pampa, like 
you might be lucky if you get a hundred yard shot. So it's like a bow hunter's paradise, like yeah. the, the spot and stock opportunities. And there's so many, you can blow one stock after another, kind of like <laughs> axis deer in Hawaii. Like it's freaking fantastic. Um, I had a rifle there cause I was doing a Benelli thing. Um, okay. but, uh, it was, it was great. Um, and it was Benelli Lupo, the Benelli Lupo. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I killed on day three and then, uh, next day we went after Buffalo got to 15 yards. That was exciting. Wow. And, uh, was able to do that and then got bored and shot a black buck. And then we did some dove hunting and I got to play gaucho, swung a leg up over a horse and we moved about a thousand head of cattle from one. Oh, back cool. Gaucho. So that was did you drink sweet. the little, the little drink out of the gourd with the metal straw? Okay. <laughs> there you go. Nice. I came prepared. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, all that, all that good stuff. One of the guides like made this really cool knife from like a black buckhorn. Ooh, so, that's cool. Yeah. It's, it was an adventure as always. Tons yeah. Of fun. So yeah. I, because of my past career, I've gotten a chance to travel a lot. Like I've been to like Nepal, Africa, nice. uh, Ecuador, Thailand, Cambodia, um, Turkey a lot. Um, so anyway, but this year will be my first time doing an international hunt. Yeah. I'm starting small, just just across the border in Mexico. Nice. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's I think Heck a lot yeah. of guys just they get. I mean, it's already well. First of all, we got so much cool stuff to hunt here in America. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, and that's you know, I still have a lot of stuff to hunt here that I haven't hunted. So sure. um, I'm not like super motivated right now for international stuff but if you know guys that have that dream or or whatnot like it is doable especially if you enlist the expertise of someone like yourself um so so yeah the the opportunities are out there yeah no absolutely and and i totally agree i mean there's so many animals here in north america that are that are amazing like part of my mindset is as a kid i I used to dream about going and do these things like i would go to the dallas safari club because i grew up in dallas and I would go to Texas trophy hunter extravaganza and see all these outfitters from all over the world. And I was like, man, these places are amazing. Like as a kid, your, your imagination goes wild. Yeah. And so it was always a dream to go to those places. Never thought I would. But um, what I've realized lately too, just because of society and the way it is around the world, I, I feel like that top, the, the clock is ticking. And I'm like, man, mm. if I'm going to even have a chance to maybe go and experience these things at least once, I better hurry the heck up. And get over there and do Dude, it so and, then, true. and hopefully be able to to use you know the rest of the hunting time i have left just doing the things i love most in north america um and that's not to say i don't hunt here in the u.s a lot because i do right um, I do it up a little bit more than most and uh but yeah i'm just trying to checklist all my my crazy adventures that i used to dream about and all with the intent of doing it before they're gone before yeah. we're not allowed to do anymore and uh yeah, that's sad. And it's, you know, I don't want to go negative, but it is, I mean, we're already seeing, seeing stuff getting closed right in our own country. There was that, uh, stuff up in Alaska that just got closed insane. Um, so definitely take this opportunity to tell people like, we definitely need to like come together and like stand up for our rights and, you know, sign every single petition, like do whatever yeah. you got to do. They're usually pretty easy to do. And I Absolutely. mean, cause we're losing more and more ground and we can't, it's a slippery it's, slope, you know, it's one of those things too, where, and I, and I've heard this mindset come from, you know, 
other hunters and I'm not passing judgment at all. I, I, I understand the mindset and where they're coming from, but I hear these statements of, well, I don't care anything about Africa. I, I never wanted to go there. Like, why would I participate or waste my time and, you know, signing a petition that, that supports African hunting. If I don't, if it doesn't affect me, well, right. the reality is, is it does affect you. Mm-hmm. Um, case in point. So I do a lot with SDI. Um, I sit on their record book committee and I'm an ambassador. And so I get to hear a lot of the um, political things that are going on that have this ripple effect that will touch us as North American hunters. Even if you never leave your home state and all you ever care about is elk. Awesome. But you need to be mindful of what's going on in the world because Arizona sure. is trying to pass legislature that would restrict the importation of leopards from Africa. And it's going to include other game species. And, and some people may be going, well, well, who cares? Like, I'm not going to get no, yeah. but that's just one step forward in momentum yeah. for these anti-hunting groups mm-hmm. to continue to chip away at any kind of legal yes. hunting. Like that's legal hunting. It's a, it's a very necessary part of conservation over there. That's why the government has quota permits that they issue. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things like it can absolutely go away. We've seen black bear hunting shut down, grizzly yeah. bear hunting shut down. Like they're not going to stop at just bears. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you, you said it like chip away, like they know they're not going to go in and close hunting in all 50 States tomorrow. It's an erosion. And just like anything else, like even in your own personal life, you like start to like, you know, let the, let the, um, you know, let something in a little bit like, Oh, just, you know, I don't know. I'm making an example, but I'll just, I don't care about using curse words or I'll just get drunk once a week. It, eventually right. like it just gets, it grows. And exactly. so they know that too. And they, you know, they want to get their foot in the door and then that they just wedge their way in. And so you got to be wary of all those little things. I, I mean, I'm to the point too, like I want to stop any and all momentum. Like I've been subjected to death threats from the whole vegan community and all that. And then recently this, this week while I was in Argentina, before I got home, my daughter came home to my wife and said, Hey, my health ed teacher just taught us that um, to teach them about veganism, like really pushing it hard, made them watch a video um, and then started talking about endangered species in Africa and how we shouldn't hunt them. And the stuff she was putting out there was, was not true. And I'm just like, Holy crap. And like, so I'm to the point where do I be the crazy dad that like storms into the school and creates, you know, <laughs> now I don't want to do that, but With your handlebar mustache, my handlebar mustache. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you know, like, but I can't just stay silent because right. yeah. that's, that, that is one step of momentum. Like she's telling these kids in sixth grade, these things that aren't true and that's not okay. And so she's planting these seeds of doubt that's happening here in freaking Montana, where 25% of the population is hunting license holders. Like it's, yeah. it's just, you know, we, we have to be willing, like the liberal side of this equation, they are so like, like full board, like attacking us at every opportunity. And, and I, and I truly believe that. And I use the word attack. Cause that's not, oh, yeah, for sure. Um, like we got to stand up for ourselves. We can't let little things like that slide. Absolutely, man. Um, it, do you think this is a side question, but like, you know, you're from Texas. I feel like a lot of my guests that have been like into international hunting or Texas guys, is that kind of a cultural Texas thing? You know, it's, that's a great question. I've actually put a lot of thought into this because even as I help clients book hunts to different parts of the world, that South, I'm going to, I'm going to say Texas, but I'm going to say the Southeastern region of the country. I'm going to lump Texas into that. That region of the U S is more open-minded about doing international hunting for Mm. a wide variety of species. And I think that's because, um, 
especially in Texas, it's, it's more of the culture for like game ranches and things like that, which, sure. you know, I don't particularly like, but to each their own, I'm, I'm yeah. not saying it's a bad thing. Um, so they're just more open to doing like chasing weird critters. Whereas now I live in the, um, you know, the Northwest and it's all about big game hunting and, you know, free range DIY, blah, 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 mountain species. Right. And in mm-hmm. that pocket of the country, they come to me asking, well, I want to go hunt Argali in Mongolia, or tell me about these Ibexes over in Kyrgyzstan or in Pakistan or wherever, because their, their draw is to what is common in their backyard, which is mountains and mountain mm-hmm. species. They're chasing the opportunity to put some physical exertion out there and really go and earn that hunt. Mm-hmm. Whereas the guys down in the Southeast, man, they want to pull the trigger. They just want to pull that trigger. Okay? <laughs> so it's interesting how those two regions depending on where you're from and how the um, surroundings and the environment in which you grew up hunting in starts to, to um, put you in that direction of what you're interested in doing outside of the U S itself. And they all gravitate towards the same thing. It's very interesting. Well, bring that back to myself. I'm a Southeasterner, but I just booked with your help a mountain hunt. Yeah. And it's going to be a freaking awesome. <laughs> uh, I feel like dirty even saying it. It's so, it's so early, but um, I haven't even signed the papers yet. But um, I guess I'll just go ahead and say it. So I Ryan helped me yesterday get in contact and book a doll sheep hunt. Something I've wanted to do for a long time. And I'm freaking stoked. Heck yeah, man. It is such an incredible experience. If, if you Have you done it? I have been on a sheep hunt before um, for doll sheep. Um, for myself once and i've been on a couple others just with clients tagging along um and uh, it's a magical experience unfortunately for me i did hit an area it was an exploratory trip um and uh, hit an area that was hit hard by um some some uh winter uh issues and yeah and made it tough we didn't find a legal ram but the area you're going with jeremy is uh man it's it's money like he is has a very high success rate there so yeah um, I was telling you, Remy Warren is hunting there with him a couple times. That's where he's hunted his doll sheep. But um, Jeremy runs a high success rate. Um, he's been doing it for a long time. And, um, you know, he's going to put you on a good hunt for sure. Yeah, man. Looking forward to it. So I talked to him a little bit yesterday. And, you know, he was saying they have had some bad winters and the sheep aren't where they are or where they were like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, he said he at one point was taking 10 sheep hunts out a year. Now, right. like this year, he's only doing two. So, I mean, I'm like incredibly fortunate and it was kind of some different situations and some really good timing, probably the Lord watching out for me that I was able to kind of get in there for one in 2023. Um, But going back to what you were saying earlier, circumstance for you though, because a guy had booked it and and I told you, he unfortunately unexpectedly passed away from brain cancer. Mm. And and that's the only reason that spot came up. And uh, you said something really important. I don't know a lot of people listening picked up on, but you're right. Jeremy used to run, you know, eight to 12 hunts out there for dolls cheap a year. But as he, as a good outfitter, he was watching and paying attention to what's been going on. And he scaled it back down so that he can still deliver a very highly successful hunt, even though that mm. means probably less money out of his pocket. Right. And so finding outfitters like that is, is crucial. Yeah. And I'd heard other people say good things about his outfit. Um, yeah. Did the 
the classic internet forum search. There was no garbage about him. So everyone said he was good. Um, and yeah, so, and I take, I trust you too. So it was pretty, pretty easy, but going kind of back to what you were saying something earlier, which is like, so the first time I went to Alaska, so I picked up this shed. It was my first backcountry trip, uh, walk in caribou hunt. And like, I knew like I had to hunt sheep one day. just, the country is amazing. And they're yeah. just like epic, mythical looking, like yeah. magical white yeah. rams. Like what? They're so cool. Exactly. Uh, and just the places they live are so cool. And it's, I mean, it's the only like over the counter sheep tag, I guess, in America. Um, and so, and you know, even though it's expensive, it is the most affordable way to hunt sheep, really. It is. Um, yeah. I mean, I can vouch for that. I Of all the sheep in the world, that is going to be the price point entry level sheep hunt you can do yeah um, and it's the one i want to do which is great yeah. yeah and so uh, i'm super stoked but you know we were talking about it last night and i was like ah, i was kind of like man this is you know this is a chunk of change and for me you know this is kind of something i'm trying to do professionally um starting off you know in this new venture kind of went full-time into it this year um, so it's sort of an investment as in a way too. And I'm you know thinking how I'm going to make it work financially and you know, whatever. But I was like, dude, a, I'm not getting any younger there. Right. The, the sheep, you know, hunting, hunting in general is getting, you know, more demand, less supply. Um, yep. prices so are going up. prices are going up. Like, you know, I was always kind of like, yeah, one day I'll hunt doll sheep. One, but like, I'm like, dude, not to mention something Jeremy was saying that I've heard whispers of already is that like it might not be that many years before um, all doll sheep is draw is draw tags yeah. for non-residents. Yeah. That, that's been kind of I've been hearing whispers about that for a couple of years now. Um, and for it to be that consistent, I, I think it's coming. It's one of those deals. It's like, man, if you've been thinking about doing a doll sheep hunt, you, you better hurry up and do it because pricing's gone up significantly. I, I bet. When I first started researching doll sheep, I used to be able to find for 12, 13,000. And now mm -hmm. they're all well over 20,000. Yeah. Um, especially the good ones. And in Northwest Territory, some of them are getting up over 30,000 now. Yeah. So, you know. So, yeah, I'm not getting any younger. They're not getting any cheaper. And yeah. the regulations are not getting any easier. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to freaking go on a wing and a prayer and book this thing, put the deposit down, <laughs> figure out how to pay for the rest of it later. Right, uh, right. I have faith it'll work out. I mean, I'm not worried about it. But, um, yeah. I know it'll work out, but, um, anyway, so just to say that like guys, I mean, um, it doesn't have to be a sheep hunt. It could be a huh. high country mule deer, but, um, put a plan together and just go for it because you ain't getting any younger. No, absolutely. You know, I, <laughs> I, uh, my dad got me into hunting and, um, you know, I, it became just this life obsession and. Uh, but I, I, I remember as a kid talking to my dad, he would go elk hunting every year in Colorado. And that was kind of his big annual trip. And we always talked about doing these trips together. So finally, um, you know, I, I started trophy expeditions, which is my booking agency alongside my dad, but what's been kind of sad as great as that's been. And we've been able to go and do like, we did a moose hunt together in British Columbia. Mm. Um, he went to Africa with me last year, finally. Um, that was his first trip over there. Uh, he, he got his New Zealand stag. That was a dream of his, but he, I, and I've had a lot of older clients that are the same. They started trying to do this too late in life. Mm. And so now my dad's done. Like he just physically can't do these things anymore. Yeah. So he barely kind of got in at least two or three, which is great. 
but I have a lot of clients. I was at a 75 year old guy down in Argentina with me and he's like, man, I wish I would have started doing this 30 years ago. Yeah. He's in a set now. Like, so to your point, guys, don't wait, man. You can't take this money with you when you die. Yeah. You can, your memories, like go have a good time. Like this stuff may not be around and you know, 10, five a year from now. So yeah. get it Seriously. done while you can. I'm telling you. For sure, man. Absolutely. Um, so definitely guys, I do recommend, uh, you know, reach out to Ryan. I'm not, we're not done talking, but just yeah, like, no, pretty, where, yeah, where can yeah. people re reach out to you if they want to like look into booking something? Yeah, totally. So, uh, trophy expeditions is the name of our booking agency. Um, it's, we're kind of a one-stop shop. My parents have run a travel agency for 44 years and this is kind of a branch off of that. So we can do all airfare booking, travel insurance, hotels, cars, we can send your family to Disney World, whatever you want to do. Plus, we can book hunts. And so um, that's our family business. Um, you know, you can find me on Instagram and check cool. out our website, trophyexpeditions.com. Um, I need to update it. But uh, yeah, definitely but yeah, reach out to Ryan. He knows he knows his stuff and uh, he helped me out. So he'll help you out. Um, what are some good like um, one thing I'm, I'm always thinking about, and I think other guys yeah. too, like the guys that are like, well, I know every September you will not find me anywhere else, but with a bow in my hand yeah. in the elk woods. Sure. Um, and then I got my mule deer. Yep. Um, so like what, what are some like good, um, and maybe even like fairly affordable kind of sure. off season hunts the guys can do that. Like you maybe wouldn't think about, but are like in random times of the year where there's nothing else you're going to miss out on. Great question. I mean, that hunt I just got back from, I mean, mm. If you love elk hunting, you're going to love hunting red stag, whether that's in La Pampa in Argentina, which is more like really thick, kind of like rolling, almost flat. It's not like a ton of, you know, big terrain jumps or high elevation, or you can get down into Patagonia and hunt them. But like you're hunting them in the rut. It's it's September and March in Argentina is mm. what it is. Nice. That's a fantastic one. Um, I do, for, for those of you who aren't really into the high fence thing, totally get it. Um, Argentina is better than New Zealand because they have much bigger blocks of land where you can find, like I said, I was on an 85,000 acre free range property, um, hunting stag. It was, it was great. Whereas in New Zealand, uh, obviously it's a smaller Island, less land mass. Um, there are some free range opportunities there. They're incredibly difficult. Um, so if that's your thing, awesome. Um, but the really big ones you see, man, that's all high fence stuff. Yeah. And, um, if that's your jam too. Great. Like, I've done all of it. So there's no judgment for me. Like it's, I've had to go and experience all of it because it's my job. And so, uh, it's all a lot of fun, but that's a great one for March. If you're into other mountain species, um, I really, really have gotten into the Ibex. He froze. Uh oh. Um, the Ronda and Southeastern Ibexes you can hunt in like March and April also really cool hunt, awesome cultural experience, fantastic country, the whole stuff like in, um, Azerbaijan, Mongolia, and, and that Azerbaijan hunt might be the most physically demanding hunt out there, um, in the mm. world. Um, talk to anybody that's been there, you're hunting Eastern Dagestan Tur. Um, which is kind of a mix, like even scientifically as they try to um, determine it, is it a goat or is it a sheep? It's kind of an in-betweener, yeah. but they're big, burly, tough animals and they live in some steep, steep, steep stuff. Like you better 
have put in the work before you get there because it is a tough hunt. Yeah. Um, do they do they end up closing down Kyrgyzstan like you were saying on the podcast I heard? Yeah. Um. So it's kind of been like on the fence. Like I, I I'm hearing it's closing. I had friends from Canis Athlete, which is in a new apparel company that I work with. Um, the owner just got back from there a few months ago and it was fine. So like, I don't know. Um, okay. that kind of keeps changing. It seems I got you. Um, Kyrgyzstan is fantastic. Like of all the the places I've been that, that trip was freaking awesome. Crazy oh, stories. Nice. Um, that's a good one, but that's probably like, you can do that one, but it's going to overlap with our, with our Western big game hunting. So like, I like Azerbaijan because you can go and do that in July. Nice. Um, I like Mongolia because you can go do that in, in July. You can hunt Gobi and Altai Ibex is there. The the our golly hunts there are incredibly expensive. I'm taking a couple of guys next year to do them, and they're at a lower terrain, so they're not as physically demanding. If you want a, a better physically demanding hunt to challenge yourself, go after the Ibexes. They're at a higher altitude and rougher country. Um, that's why I like hunting the Ibexes. Turkey um, also good, but it kind of is right after our archery season for yeah. most Western states. Um, but those, those are a handful to consider. And those Ibex hunts that are kind of in that borderland of like Eastern Europe slash starting to get into the Middle East type areas. Yeah. Um, I know this is a, probably a really broad sweeping question, but ballpark, what are you looking at for, for doing one of those type of trips? Yeah. So um, the most affordable one is the mid-Asian Ibex in Kyrgyzstan. Um, door to door. I like to tell people, um, cause I can tell you the hunt price is going to be around, you know, six, $7,000 door to door. You can get it done for about 10 grand. That's all in your flights, um, having to stay at a hotel, maybe everything, right. License costs, exporting the animal back out your, um, rifle import export, you know, license, all that stuff. Wow. And so, so that's pretty good. I mean, more. it's not bad at all. That's you know, there's people that are spending way more than that on elk hunts right now. So, oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, even just like a drop camp caribou hunt is going to run you more than that. Oh, for sure, and um, and it's and it's an experience unlike anything else. Like yeah. it is truly. I was on the border of China with three Kyrgyzstani dudes that didn't speak any English at like fourteen thousand feet, and we had just killed this thing. And I'm laying in a two person tent with the, and I'm going, "What the crap am I doing? This is <laughs> nuts!" Like way off the grid way wow. off the grid. it was so cool that is awesome. cool, that's yeah. like indiana jones type experience it was freaking nuts it was i rem- i remember like it's not related to hunting so it's not quite as cool but i remember after the earthquakes in nepal in 2010 i was there mm-hmm. documenting some humanitarian work yeah. that we were doing and like we were in this high himalayan village and it's like me and one other american dude and everyone else is nepalese or indian and yeah. like they like brought us into this hut and like offered us this, you know, insanely spicy food, which like I do not do spicy food, but it was like the village chicken and they killed it for us. Yes. And, and so, so I'm you, like, you can't yeah. Defend them. Oh, yeah. And the and Bible says eat whatever they put in front of you. So I was sitting there eating it and I was like dying. And luckily, I was the camera guy. So I was able to be like, all right, I got to get some shots now. And like, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. but just that moment, I was like, this is like Temple of Doom, man. Like, this is amazing. Yeah. Dude, the, the, I mean, I think a lot of people, you get really focused on on what species you're going to hunt. But like, I try and tell all my clients, and I've and I've learned this is like embrace that full journey. Like, there's yeah. so much more to it than just pulling the trigger on this animal in a foreign place. It's like 
the culture, the food, just the insanity of getting there and getting back. And like Mm -hmm. the before and after of that one moment that lasts for a few few seconds is the best part of the trip. Like that's why you do it. And there's something about like, for me anyway, I've always loved other cultures and like connecting with people from other cultures. And like you actually end up making these incredibly strong bonds with with people when you're in these countries with them. Like, um, it's, it's pretty cool. Have you experienced that? You froze, you froze on me for a second. Did you get my question? I didn't. And I missed it. That's okay. I was saying like, you wouldn't necessarily think so, but you always, I've always found that like, I, I form really strong bonds with people from other yes. countries. Like, yeah. I don't know what it is. It's like you're both kind of really interested in each other because you're so different. But then you realize that like you're also really similar and you yes. get these cool connections. Like I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. I know, dude, that's I think that might be the coolest part because, you know, I got like freaking dead animals everywhere and pictures and memories. And that's great. But like so I, I use WhatsApp for those of you who don't know what WhatsApp is. It's like the best way to keep in touch with people internationally. It's yeah. it's, it's an app in the room. And so my WhatsApp, I'm on it every day. I probably talk to more people on WhatsApp all over the world <laughs> because of these friendships that you form with these people. Like, even if there's a little bit of a language barrier, like I've got different like translation apps so I can at least like type it in in English and it translates it to the language just so I can at least kind of communicate with these guys because yeah. you form that bond. Like you went through some, you know, a tough hunt together and you both have that same love and desire. And even though there's this language barrier, it doesn't matter. Like you shared a, a really special moment to eat with each other and, yeah. and it's something you're both passionate about. And it's really cool to see that literally all over the world. Yeah. Every- and something about just like connecting on that level. Like, I don't know, like I'm sure you connect with like a random like elk guide in Montana or something too, but like connecting with some dude named Muhammad who like doesn't barely yeah. speak any English and like, right. but you still like, you see each other, look at each other in the eyes and like, you just know, yeah. what the other person's like feeling and, t- and like experiencing it's it's pretty special it, it's really cool it's really cool that kyrgyzstan hunt i go back to that one because like i said i mean th- these guys couldn't even say hello yeah. english. i mean like i'm talking zero english and it was all for like five six days it was just like hand gestures and like pointing <laughs> and like drawing in the dirt but we we knew what we were trying to accomplish and like we were on the same page of the right tactics to get the job done that's awesome but you know, it was, it was just so cool how it came together. Dude, that's super cool. I'd love to do that. Like, honestly, I, I feel more, I want to do an, a big international hunt, like now more just from this conversation, yeah. but, um, Careful of the thing. <laughs> sheep hunt first, sheep hunt first. There you uh, go. <laughs> um, so yeah, dude, that's, that's super cool. I had some other stuff I want to talk to you about. So, um, on that note, I know you've mentioned yeah. before you're a spiritual dude and, yeah. um, that's kind of a theme of the podcast. What, what kind of role do you think your, your faith plays in your, um, desire for kind of adventure or just the lifestyle yeah. you live? Oh, love that question. Um, dude, it's, it's everything. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I typically get emotional when I talk about this stuff. So apologies in advance. You'll have to bear okay. with me. So when I was 17, um, I joined the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Um, I lived in Ecuador for two years as a missionary and, um, were your parents in the the gospel, were your parents in the, in the same church or did you 
join it no. yourself? Nope. Joined by myself. Um, had my, my wife at the time, my girlfriend then, and some other friends were all members. And that's how I came to know about the church. And for a lot of time I was given grief. Oh, you only joined the church because you're dating this girl. And it's like, no, no, that wasn't it. Um, you know, these two missionaries taught me, uh, some things I hadn't learned about. And I took it to heart and took it in consideration. I was like, you know, if this is true, this is pretty incredible. And so I went home by myself one night and prayed about it and kind of had a, a very personal experience where I, I couldn't deny that I knew the things they had taught me were true, period. And in that moment, I knew I wanted to give other people that opportunity and to be able to help people, whether they accepted what I was teaching or not, didn't matter. I just, I wanted to help people. And so joined the church a year later, I was called to serve a mission in Ecuador. I lived mm -hmm. there from 2005 to 2007, learned Spanish and taught the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was absolutely incredible. Um, and in that time living there, I, I, that's where I think I really came to understand um, more about myself as an individual, but I also really had this love for other people outside of what my comfort zone was. And, you know, to be, to put it quite frank as a white guy in Northeast Texas. And so it opened my eyes it, it, it increased the size of my box and I got comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm. And I wanted to experience more of that all over the world and understand people and, um, and see how they live and why they live that way. And, and doing that through hunting was, was pretty cool. And so that religious experience and, and what it's meant to me and how it's impacted how I've, I, I think I've been blessed in what I've been able to do in my career. I've been blessed with an amazing family and two little girls. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that's everything to us. Like as, as important as hunting might be for me in my career and as important as softball might be for my older daughter and gymnastics for my younger daughter and my wife and her horses and all that, like the most important thing over everything is, is our family as a core unit and how the gospel helps us um, protect ourselves against the society that may you know, not be as um, in line with our beliefs and it helps us stay together and close and, and it protects us and helps us find a greater joy in life. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the gospel of Jesus Christ is everything to us. Absolutely. That's, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, um, you know, having that foundation of faith is just, uh, because ultimately, as as cool as any adventure is, as cool as any yeah. human connection is, it's um, it's not everything. Like it just isn't. Like as much as I'm obsessed with hunting and love hunting, right. I could be in an accident tomorrow and break my pelvis and be you know yeah. whatever and or yeah. whatever. Um, but you know my my refuge, my strength is in God. Um, and you know, my eternal salvation and, you know, I hope I never have to quit hunting till I'm like about to sure. die. But, <laughs> and I believe God is, uh, blessed us with the ability to do these things we love because he wants us to do what we love and he wants us to be happy and have joy and live life to the fullest. That's what Jesus said. He came to give us life and life to the fullest. So Absolutely. I want to live that life. But at the same time, um, it's it's meaningless if you don't have a deeper, a deeper purpose and a deeper connection. Definitely. There's more important things than hunting. I mean, mm -hmm. hunting is like probably fourth or fifth down the list for me, honestly, like everything that relates back to the, the gospel of Christ is, um, takes slots one through three or four there. So, um, <laughs> and, and my family is the utmost important. So 100%. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, 
I don't know, like I, I've been able in, in, in seeing these other cultures and being in, um, I mean, especially once you get out into the Eastern part of the world, like where there's a stronger Muslim culture, it's, it's very interesting to, to see how religions, different religions of all types affect cultures and how and why people do things. Mm. Um, and, uh, it, again, it just, it makes me grateful for, for what I know to be true and how it's impacted our family in such a positive way. Yeah. And to have that knowledge that, you know, Christ is our savior and he atoned for us and that through repentance, we can find greater joy and and peace in our lives. And, you know, we're going to make mistakes. We're not, we're not going to be perfect. We can strive to be perfect, but we're going to make mistakes. That's okay. Heavenly father understands that. And that's why he sent Christ here to, um, atone for us. And if we participate, if we make that choice to participate through the repentance process, um, we can find peace. And, um, that's, that's why we're here. We're here to learn and, and experience the good and the bad. You can't experience the good without first going through that refiner's fire, experiencing some bad, even if it's mm-hmm. by your own mistakes and doing like it, that's an opportunity. And that's how we should look at it. Heavenly father lets bad things happen for our own benefit. So we can use the gospel to, to navigate those hard times and yeah. find that peace and understand and appreciate the good. Yeah. Or even, um, you know, cause we do have an enemy, uh, yeah. he's, he's bad. So yeah. he likes to make bad things happen. Yeah. But, he's and, and the, the way I believe is that on earth, God's will is not always done. Like right. it's not God's will for a little kid to be abused and die or right. something that I don't think that's God's will. That's yeah. the enemy. So, but you know, there's different schools of thought there. Some people think that everything is God's will because, but anyway, without getting down a rabbit hole, all I'm trying to say is God can take bad things that happen to us. Maybe he didn't himself make them happen. As some people like to say, you know, maybe the enemy did something or maybe we did something ourselves. We're reaping and sowing. Um, but God can take those bad situations and turn them for good. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the, what's interesting is that how everything's intertwined is so complex. Like, yes, bad things happen. Um, do I think that's God's will? I, I, I don't, I think that he doesn't just the same as I would never want, we're his children. I would never want my children to go through pain. Right. I understand that's how they learn sometimes. Like when my kids are younger, I'd say, Hey, don't touch that pan. It's hot. Right. If they touched it. I always told them good choices or good choices, good consequences, bad choices, bad consequences. Yeah touch it how it burnt that hurt right they learn it's the same with us and and um unfortunately we have to experience some bad things and you know how we deal with those bad things even indirectly if it doesn't happen to us directly we still sometimes are affected by it mm. and, and that's still an opportunity to to learn and i i sure. i think it's hard because a lot of times in my life i've seen people really struggle with well why would god let that happen to me or my my brother or my child or my my parent or whomever, my friend. And it's like, that's a hard one, but it's part of his plan. And when you can come to peace with the fact that we're supposed to go through hard things, he let that happen for a reason. And there's something to be learned. That's going to help bless your life. If you can figure out how to use the gospel to overcome that and understand it, it it will allow you to increase your testimony of Christ and why heavenly father has you here and what you're supposed to be learning to prepare you to go further and, and enter his kingdom later on when it's mm-hmm. time, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's my belief, but, uh, I found a lot of peace in my life. Um, For sure. understand those things. 
Yeah, man. Like one thing I always thought would be cool would be to, uh, cause I love, I love doing international missions work like a couple yes. years ago into Africa, but it wasn't yeah. to hunt. We were just ministering. We were actually doing a healing and deliverance conference. And oh, like, dude, yeah. I saw some crazy stuff go down. We were casting out demons <laughs> and I saw some miraculous healings. I mean, we, we ministered sure. healing to people that were healed of like malaria right. and stuff. Anyway, um, cool some, man. yeah, some people listening might be like, well, this guy's off his rocker, <laughs> but I've seen it happen. Hey, um, this one, well, I guess I got to tell a story. Yeah. This yeah. one girl, we got there to the conference and she was just you know, manifesting, going off, like freaking out, trying to bite us, spitting, screaming. Um, and we were like giving, you know, speaking to the spirit and giving it commands in English and she would do what we said, you know, but yeah. later when she got delivered, um, she didn't speak a word of English, like yeah. had no idea what we were saying. Um, wow. anyway, that's a whole I other story, it. but I trust me. I saw some crazy stuff in my two years in, in Ecuador. And I think for a lot of people that maybe aren't religious, it's like, man, y'all are really, it's like, <laughs> well, evil. I mean, like evil's real, man. Evil is real. And it manifests itself in different ways. And, you know, as, as real as evil is the good side from God is just as real and even more powerful. Absolutely. And, so I, I've, I've and the thing that. is like, uh, a lot of this stuff, well, it does for, it does. This stuff does happen in America as well, but a lot of oh, times yeah. you see it overseas because in America, um, a lot of people don't believe that, like for example, demons exist. Yep. But the thing is, that's actually worse because if you look at like, uh, you know, anything, the first step of fixing any problem is admitting there's a problem. If you sure. don't believe in demonic influence. Yeah, you, you got the devil right where he wants to be because you sure. don't even believe he's there and he can just have free reign. You don't even believe he's real. Right. So anyway, that's that's a little side note. But I always yeah. thought it'd be cool to be able to like mix because I got into this full time. So I'm like, man, I'm gonna be traveling a lot right. for hunting and creating content. Like I still don't want to like, you know, lose my passion for international ministry work and stuff like that. But I always thought it'd be super cool to like be able to like, you know, book a hunt and then like you know, hunt for a week and then the next week after just like do ministry yeah. or just like minister or something combine the two. I, I think that is so much more meaningful. Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, yeah, like you're, you're getting to do something you, you want to do, but sometimes for our own spiritual well being, um, something you need to do is give service to others yeah. and um, that helps them. And it helps you probably if not more so. And I think, you know, you, you made me kind of pause and, think maybe I wish I would have been doing more of that over all these travels. It's not always feasible, but, yeah. uh, and I've had some opportunities that just kind of came along the way on some of these trips too, where we were able to do things unexpectedly, but we were prepared and willing. Yeah. Um, and you can be a light yeah, in the darkness, even on a hunt too, definitely. like with your guides and whatever. And I try Absolutely. to, I try to do that even within the hunting industry here in America as much as I can. And, you know, I'm just kind of getting started, but I hope that that will be part of, um, that when people think of me or see me or whatever, that they know that like, I'm not going to be banging them over the head of the Bible and preaching and try to make them feel bad or something like that. But that I'm not going to water down my beliefs. I'm going to stand by them and I'm going to, I'm going to try to be light, light and love in the industry whenever I can. I think that's a good goal, man. Um, you know, that's, that's all you can do. You know, at yeah. the end of the day, we have love to stand on as our integrity and, trying to do right by others. And, um, I think if that's your goal, like, you know, people are still going to 
end up hating you. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Drug it off and not worry about it. Yeah. Um, but uh, stay true to who you are and what you believe in. And, and you know, I don't know, at least for me, Heavenly Father's never led me astray. I've always ended up where I need to be. So For sure, man. Um, let's see. How are you doing on time? I'm good. Okay. I did want to ask, I did want to kind of shift gears a little bit, ask you one more thing, kind of like more like branding related. Sure. Um, and maybe slightly selfishly motivated, but, um, (laughs) I don't know. You're, I feel like you're a, a smart guy when it comes to branding and marketing. Um, what's, you know, what are kind of some of the pitfalls that young brands fall into, or maybe some really good advice for, guys who want to start building a brand or are building a small brand like myself? Great question. Um, ooh, great question. I like this one. So I would say there's a few things that come to mind immediately. Um, I think before anybody gets too deep into trying to create a new company, um, whether that be service or product based, you, you really should do what most people refer to as like a business model canvas. And you don't have to do it like truly. And it's like, um, you know, scholastic sense and like build out this complex thing, but going through those motions and understanding, okay, well, identifying the problem, like what is the problem? And then is there a solution that we can solve for it? And I think, you know, a lot of times some companies are born out of passion. It's like, oh, well, I'm passionate about this thing and I want to make this product or provide this service. And it's like, okay, well, that's, that's great. But if you truly want it to be impactful and hopefully successful, that's why you're doing it and going to invest the time and money, you got to identify some problems that you're going to try to solve for. And so every successful company I've been with has gone through some version of that process. Um, the, the technical term for it and, and how it should be done on a professional level is called a business model canvas. And you go through the, the entire you know, equation of identifying this is the problem. These are um, other competitors within the competitive landscape. These are some solutions I think we can identify on and on and on. There's a lot more variables to that. And at the end of it, you go, okay, this is how and why we are going to start this company. And then you establish a vision statement, a mission statement that really kind of keeps you grounded and, and functions as your North star. And so like, if you can do those simple things, and I hope I'm answering your question. Um, and if I'm not ask me another question and re- redirect me if you need to, but yeah, like yeah. those simple things, like understanding this is the problem. This is the solution. This is why I'm doing this. This is my North star to accomplish this. Having that, those guardrails and guidelines help keep you focused on, on the objective at hand, but you've got to be nimble enough to as opportunities come and as things change to, to adjust, to pivot and and redirect if you need to to still get to that north star if that makes sense mm, yeah yeah that's good and Those you know, things come to mind yeah and i think you know also you're a thoughtful guy who spends a lot of time thinking about kind of the industry the hunting industry or even like community if you want to put it that way like what are some um i guess some bright spots and some dark spots in the industry you, you see totally um want to end on a good note so i'll go dark spots <laughs> um i think unfortunately and unfortunately um the way gosh this industry has changed so much in the last five years much less yeah. last two years um there's a lot of toxicity i think in the community and culture of the hunting industry specifically here in the u.s um you know there's uh 
brand versus brand, like clicks and um, people dragging down others. Yeah. Um, Cause it's a very relational industry calls. and it's a small community. It's, you gotta be very it, careful, like what you do and who you cross and that kind of stuff. Um, there's rumors that are 100% unfounded. I've heard things about myself. That I was like, wow, um, well, that's just not true. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's crazy. And I, and I hear pe- things about friends of mine in the industry and I'm just like, I know for a fact that's not true. And it's just, it's kind of like high school all over. And so that's kind of a dark spot in the industry because it is such a small community. Like once you're a full-time employee in this space, um, there's some some high school tendencies, if you will, that kind of cast a dark spot on it. And, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, I think social media exacerbates that and makes it um, worse than what it should be. Um, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, you know, I think there's there's more bright spots um, than anything. I think one more dark spot because, and it, this isn't on the social side, this is more on just like, if you're entering a business right now, especially in the product space, some of the real challenges, supply chain and factories right now are, are tough. Um, I consider that a dark spot right now. I mean, yeah. um, even for some well-established brands, just the, the ripple effect of, of COVID and this war stuff even happening now between Russia and the Ukraine, like it does ripple and, and touch everything worldwide eventually. And so you start to see, um, you know, resource constraints. You're not able to source materials that you need for certain yeah. products. Um, and then even if once you do, do they have the the right staffing available at the factory to then produce so like instead of it being a lead time of like 60 days like some stuff's like we're being told with some of the businesses i work with not just peaks but you know it's there's some pretty significant delays out there and so that makes it business especially a new business because you're immediately a small fish in a small pond and a small fish in a big pond no matter where you get (laughs) yeah i ordered a rifle at the expo i'm gonna praying i get it by august to have it ready for elk season dude it's crazy (laughs) so that's that is a i don't know if you know what to call it a dark spot it's a challenge if you will um bright spots in the industry um there's way more you know like i think technology is is a double-edged sword it's blessing and a curse um you know i think right now the the people putting out truly meaningful educational content that that is well intended and helps others um want to participate in hunting and get better at hunting and continue to foster that love for what we do those are all great things and i think that's um more easily accessible than it ever has been obviously and so that's that's a bright spot i think that the companies out there that have really been able to um, push themselves in innovation, like as a consumer, you know, that's fantastic. Like mm-hmm. we're seeing all these apparel companies, like just duke it out. And it's awesome. Um, the, the fabric ingredients that are getting introduced into our space that maybe were only found in the mountaineering world are now available to us you know, at somewhat of a cost-effective opportunity yeah. and that benefits our experience in the outdoors doing something we love and, and, and across the board for every product category. And so it's, it's a great time to be a hunter. Like the amount of quality products we have at our disposal now versus oh, yeah. 20 years ago is infinitely better. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> the level of like quality of the gear I'm using now compared to like, you know, hunting in high school, although <laughs> I did have some pretty good Columbia gear, which I'm sad yeah. Columbia stopped making good hunting stuff, but yep. they yep. made some pretty decent stuff, man. 
I did. I think everybody had at least a little bit of Columbia. Yeah. If it was 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, man, that's good stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I've noticed that I, you know, I think with any small kind of world like that and, you know, especially when you got a lot of a type personalities and limited, you know, space in the industry, there's definitely some like little drama and he said, she said stuff and whatever, whatever. Um, but I just try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt and, you know, don't believe everything you hear necessarily and not. communicate, <laughs> you know, with people. Right. And, um, exactly. I mean, people are, it, it's a sad human, um, thing that happens that, uh, you know, people, people get jealous people, yeah. um, to make themselves feel better, say and do stupid things. And it's, it's unfortunate. And, and you're right. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ego in the industry. There's a lot of a type personalities and, Mm-hmm. That was some unfortunate things said and done uh, because of that. But like, I, I think what bugs me the most about that stuff when it happens is for somebody, and, I, and I've talked to Michael Waddell and I used to hunt together um, when I was at Sitka, we, we hunted at the same place in Kansas every year. So it was interesting getting his perspective for somebody that's been in the industry since he was 19 mm-hmm. at a very high level. Right. Um, you know, he's a blue collared redneck deer hunter and it's mm-hmm. awesome. Everybody knows who Michael Waddell is. And, and he's been through it all. And so, but he says, you know, his perspective is that the, the worst thing about social media has been how many people that get started interested in hunting, but they're truly new. They don't, they're just trying to learn mm-hmm. and they come in and they see how we as a community interact with each other. And it's incredibly off-putting. Why yeah. would anybody want to spend that much money on, on an activity that takes them away from home, you know, several days and costs a lot just to get, you know, made fun of, or, um, you know, had negative things said about them. It's, it's kind of a gross. That's what I said. That's one of the dark spots of the industry. Um, you know, we got to overcome that. Like for sure, there's a time to, to be maybe, um, to come come down on people in the right way. Um, if, if it's, if it's a detriment to hunting and how it's viewed from a wider public view, but like this internal bickering stuff, man, it's, we're losing hunter participation and we're, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah. But the other side of that coin that I was just saying too, is I've also been really impressed by, you know, guys like you and guys like, you know, Lampers and, you know, Brian Barney and like Adam Weatherby who've, you know, given me an hour of their time and like, you know, who am I? It's like, you know, so people have been really cool and really open about, coming on the podcast and um it's been really cool kind of slowly building a network even though i'm all the way out here on the east coast and then going to the expo and meeting folks and uh i've I've been enjoying it good man well it's it's been awesome getting to chat with you and i hope a lot more guys come on and yeah talk with you more and and i'm looking to see who else you you bring on maybe i can learn something from them it'd be great (laughs) yeah man well thanks again for your time it's been a really cool conversation i really enjoyed it and uh hope we can catch up sometime again in person Let's do it. Maybe we'll uh, go on an Ibex hunt together. And we'll do like a post like hunt conversation about it. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll get and then, some of your other stuff done first, and then and then we'll work on that one. <laughs> yeah, dude, uh, for sure, man. That'd be awesome. Awesome. All right, we'll talk soon. All right, buddy. Thank you. <laughs>